All right, it's the American Soccer Show, the show that you never know what day it's going to be. But today it's a Labor Day special, so welcome in. Evan, I'm great. Uh, what better day to talk about soccer than one of the most American days of the year? The day where you don't work and nobody knows why. <laughs> hey, it's a celebration of the labor force, okay? I, I can get on board with that. That's as far as I can go. I can I mean, get on hey, board any, with that. Any excuse, any excuse not exactly. to work, right? And, get, and for many people, sometimes even get paid. Which is work. just exactly what the American dream is. Yes, it is. Truly the American dream is get paid to not work. So... We have a pretty pretty packed schedule from this weekend to get to, so let's uh, go ahead and get started. Like on the last show, we did kind of cover the the weekday games that were uh, belonging to this week. So if you are missing those, you can check out the last one for that. So Saturday, we started with Seattle Sounders hosting Sporting Kansas City to a three one victory for Seattle. It's a weird start to this one. Just two minutes in, Diego Rubio smashes one in the left corner. For the early lead so naturally the only response was for Seattle to Im- almost immediately respond 10 minutes later with the Raul Reed Diaz tap in and from there it was kind of just all Seattle and it, it just it seems like this team can do no wrong at yeah Sporting Kansas City wasn't even bad I think they had a pretty good game it was just that Seattle has just been on, absolutely on fire and we talked about um there's chances of getting well, I mean at this point they are going to be in the playoffs we always made the joke of oh here comes the late run here comes the late run well it's happened we've seen it they're in a playoff spot and I they're pretty close to getting a home game <laughs> they're three <laughs> they points are, off I think, I think they will of uh, Salt Lake City and now four points off of Kansas City in third <laughs> well, we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about what we think about RSL, but the crazy part for me is that it, this game could have gone the other way. So I think this does speak to the quality of Sporting Kansas City when you talk about uh, what they can do. They, I, I think they could have really had a realistic shot at this game, but only if Ike Opara makes that, uh, make, scores that goal in the 40th minute. It, it's a great save by Stefan Fry, and so it kind of continues his his great season of, well, it, he has a lot of good-looking saves, and then you know he, he has some gaffes that make you wonder make you wonder if he really is a professional goalkeeper so he kind of walks that fine line sometimes but here is a good example of Stefan Fry kind of changing the course of the game with that save because it's a pretty hard one he he manages to cut off the angle that Opara is shooting into across his body leaving no gap for the ball to go through and ending up saving yeah I mean he's I give him a hard time pretty often because I don't think he's as highly rated as he often is but there's no doubt that he's you know a, a good a serviceable MLS goalie. He's not the bottom, you know. He's, I think he's somewhere in the middle, uh, and he has been turning up right at the time where you need your goalie to turn up when they're having this fantastic run. Yeah, it's great to have. But here's what's even better to have: the man, the the artist known as Harry Ship, who in the 52nd minute has the beautiful chip to score from the left side of the goal. I mean, you've seen it, right? It's, it's I think you give him a little too much credit. It's like a big deflection off of... Uh, I did think they end up giving an own goal to uh, Graham Zussi on that one. Ah, uh, well, you know what? I'm giving it to Harry Ship because the Seattle Twitter account also gave it to Harry Ship. <laughs> I mean, of course... When, when the goal happened... No, well, okay, so the goal happened, and, like, so they credited it to Graham Zussi in the game, and they're like, well, we don't have a Graham Zussi graphic made, so we're just giving it to Harry Ship anyway. I mean, Ship he's, anyway. like, credit to him because he's, really like... <laughs> As a player that I don't think a lot of people expected to start fitting into an offense that's firing on all cylinders and being a key aspect of that. So uh, credit should be given to him in how he's adapted into his role. 
I have to say, I really like Harry Ship for no for no particular reason. You know, he he's a he's just a, he's an okay player, yeah. right? There's nothing there's nothing special about him. But from his time at the Fire, I really I really appreciated the work that he put in a lot of times. So I I have my own personal bias for him, but to see him score that was pretty nice. And so Liko Lodero chips in with the penalty to make it three one. Uh, the handball comes off the Opara handball, so Opara having, having a nightmare here. He has a chance to put Sporting Casey back in the lead, and now he's got the handball up. I will say, his hand's up, right? And I, I think it's the right call. I, I just think he, he might be a little unlucky. The commentary mentions, the English commentary, because this game was on Univision, mentions that it's in an unnatural position. And I, I actually would almost disagree, because I, the way he was running, it actually seems pretty normal for his hand to go up in the air now that's it doesn't excuse it and it is kind of close but i i think they get i think the call's justified i i just think that it's some hard luck for yeah i mean those will happen where you think oh well it's unlucky more than like you know an infraction of the rules uh and uh, i mean we'll see a, we've seen a couple of those throughout this year and we can say oh well maybe it's not a penalty and i think i agree with you that i mean it, it's a justified call it is, but and so then speaking of big calls, there's the Chad Marshall red card. I wanted to ask what what you thought of sort of what happened there. I mean, wh- what are your thoughts on it first? <laughs> so, to me, it's like it's such a weird it's such a weird situation because I understand where the referee is coming from when they say, "Oh, he's the last man and he commits a foul." I but it just it's such a it's such a ball played situation right he is very clearly going for the ball he's very clearly not even realized that the player's there now i've said before that's no excuse right it's no excuse not to know that somebody's there just because you swing your elbow out and you don't know the person's there doesn't make you any less at fault for it but i i do think that intent sort of does has to come into play here because you're just taught you're look you see exactly he's got tunnel vision on the ball it's getting away from him so he kind of sticks his foot out to go get it and the sporting kansas city player runs directly in front of him and takes the kick the referee at first glance even kind of sees it that way. And then, you know, VAR pulls it back and eventually he kind of has to give the red card because, you know, it's a foul. And then he's also, it's, he's also the last man. So it's, it's weird. I understand it. I just, I, I actually kind of feel bad for Chad Marshall because I feel like, I feel like it might not actually be his fault. No. Yeah. I, I'm kind of with you on that, but, um, with, with, you know, it doesn't have to be, um, if it's outside the box, right? It's if you're the last man, it's a red card. If it's a goal scoring opportunity, if it's in the box, if you have an actual attempt to play the ball, uh, it's it's only a yellow. So I think because it was outside the box, it was justified. It's kind of like a way to get rid of the double whammy. Um, right. Uh, again, I think it's fair to say unlucky, right? But I'm okay with the call. Well, Seattle will certainly not be complaining too much given this is now their eighth win in a row the longest such streak uh, since mls eliminated the penalty shootout in the regular season so they are certainly in great position that's i mean you know 24 points in eight matches is it's just a dream for most teams but they've managed I mean, to pull it off so yeah again they're red it's hot. amazing that yeah like you mentioned it's a record for most consecutive wins um i do wonder if the chad marshall um red card and suspension is going to come back to to hurt them next game because he is an influential player in the defense so we'll see about that but you know you can't take away that eight straight wins 
It's true, and I think that, look, Seattle, again, I have already said, I don't think they're getting to the playoffs on this winning streak. I don't think they're going to get to the playoffs unbeaten either. So, you know, if that's what it takes to beat you, then, I, I look, after winning eight in a row, I, I don't think you can complain about the next loss if you're Seattle, no matter what happens. I think, yeah, every, because it's just every game it you want to win, but if you go to a Seattle fan and say, oh, your next nine games, you'll win eight and lose one, I think they'll take that in a heartbeat. They would absolutely take it, as they should. So we move on then to the New England Revolution's 1-1 draw with Portland Timbers. So it was a desperately needed point by New England, whose ship was sinking fast. And with the stretch Portland's on, I think it's safe to say that they'll be okay with this result too. I will say if you were to judge... You were like go, to go to the judges like they do in like a boxing match or an MMA match. You know, if you were if we were to determine draws by that, I think we would probably have to give Revolution the edge here. They they had four shots on target. Portland only had one, which was their goal. Which was of course. an odd goal so, too. Yeah, oh yeah, that that is true. And then speaking of the attack for Portland, I thought it was an interesting tactic to not only sit Armenteros. Yeah, I understand Portland's uh, played. You know, that was three games in one week for them. So and Armenteros is basically the only. Uh, striker on the roster now. Uh, you you with the moving of Fernando Adi. I, I thought it was interesting to use Sebastian Blanco as their striker. I I I looked on transfer market. My source for like has this guy ever played this position before? And the answer there was no. And I thought that was an interesting move. I just I if you don't have a striker available, I guess I can understand why, but. Of all the players, Sebastian Blanco is I, I look, I didn't I didn't watch enough of the game to know for sure, you know, all false nine versus, you know, was he playing as just kind of a, a pinpoint striker? It's just such a weird decision to me. Yeah, I mean it's I think it was more of a he did kind of false nine it more. Um they did have um Dyron Dar- Espria, who's been the guy who kind of has come on for Armenteros, who I also want to add hasn't been as great. As kind of that string of performances that had him um, miss, uh, displace Adi, where he was just on fire scoring these amazing goals. He hasn't really been at that level yet. Uh, so they, he did have Aspria um, and Flores, who are kind of guys who are more, you know, further up than Blanco, who we'd both say is more of a center midfielder, at least attacking midfielder. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, yeah, if you don't have a striker, like, you know, try a false nine. I'm all for that that strategy is I don't know I just I, I we can both agree I think his skill set doesn't really fit even a false nine to me I just think that you could have I look they want to hold the shape right so they they want to keep that Christmas tree four three two one I suppose that does make it a little more simple to try and do a false nine because you've got the two players underneath the striker who they can interchange with at any time it's kind of a, a fluid attack in that respect I, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. And, I mean, I, you could argue it paid off. You could argue it didn't pay off. I mean, because you only draw 1-1, but at the same time, you also get a point in a time where you've been in a very tough stretch, being unable to get any points. So, I mean, it was – yeah, I agree. Uh, but, you know, what was it, four straight losses? you got to do something if you're Portland. Uh, they do get a draw in New England, which hasn't been the easiest place despite their recent struggles. Um, as fluky as it was, and I do think New England was the better team, all things considered. Uh, unlucky, I would say, given... I, it was just bad goalkeeping on the corner kick. That doesn't happen. I, it's You don't really see Portland scoring in that game. They really weren't that dangerous. It's true. All right, we move on then to... Uh, maybe, well, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it's the most surprising result of the weekend. The Impact beat the New York Red Bulls, but they don't just beat them. 
they basically slaughter them three nothing. Uh, do you think the impact players listen to this podcast? Because I mean, we trash them for never beating anyone, and they go and they do this to the Red Bulls of all people. So I don't know what to make of this because it's such a it's such a lopsided victory for them. Even 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 at home, where we've talked about the fact that it is you know the home field advantage for teams is high in MLS. I just I, I don't think in my wildest dreams I could have going into the game knowing full well that you know Kaku's gonna play, Saint Etienne's gonna play, Bradley Red Phillips is gonna play. I can't in my wildest dreams actually imagine that I would be saying the impact won this game. I mean, no. okay, so two goals off of set pieces, which is a bit of a weakness for the Red Bulls and could come back to bite them in a playoff where teams are playing for their lives. Um, I do think that was a I mean, obviously two goal that's two of the three goals a big factor but Montreal I think was just really good that game this today not today uh in that in that game Montreal was a, a, they played well uh and I do think we kind of don't give them enough credit they have some talent uh like Tyder has kind of grown into it Piotti's still one of the best midfielders in the league and he's moved into a more of a forward position um if I mean if, if you discount their like a beginning 10 games they didn't win anything or they won like one game in ten. They, you know, since then they've been their record's been great. So I like I always kind of say, oh well, I give kind of the home team the benefit of the doubt, and I think the, this is the reason why. Because if you played these two teams on a neutral ground, I'm not sure you would have given Montreal any credit. Or we would have given Montreal any chance to win this game. But I mean, on the road, the Red Bulls six wins, five losses, three draws. Uh, Montreal's nine four and one at home. So just statistically looking at that, it it can kind of change the perception a bit. Interesting note here that the impact moved Quincy Americo to be their starting striker in this one. Thought that was interesting. I I also have a history with Quincy Americo. I that will be interesting to see because I I don't think he all that much of him as a player. But we've talked about it before. They have sort of been missing that number nine. That it doesn't have to necessarily score that many goals. They just have to have some kind of focal point in their attack to kind of play off of. Because we all know Piatti's good. We all know that tight air is sort of finally coming into his form now. And so they they kind of just need that focal point. And I guess if he can provide it, all the better. Yeah, and I mean Mancosu, I'm so split on because at times I think he's. He's a good target forward. He does make those kind of splitting runs in the channel. And other times, but sometimes he just goes missing for like 50 minutes at a time, and he won't get any touches on the ball. Uh, I'm, for, from what I saw from this game, I thought Amarico was much more lively. He had a, uh, was in much more involved with the other players. So, you know, he's a more direct guy than Mancosu in a lot of ways. So uh, we'll see. They do have Anthony Jackson Hamel, who I think I'm just kind of surprised hasn't become their starting striker yet. But definitely been a weak point for them. Yeah, so I think I think they will need a little more consistent production out of that position if they want to hold on. I said, of course, is their goals were all scored by no one, by not the striker. So well, I guess we'll see on that front. I mean, this game really wasn't even all that close either. It was two. It was two nothing before halftime. The Red Bulls had two shots on target the whole. Yeah, game. Montreal was good, and I. From what I'm looking at right now, how the teams are playing, how the table's shaping up, I I expect them to finish sixth, barring a big meltdown. Uh, I, I'm still, I'm still on the impact out train. I just, but uh, this this win does finally give me something that I could say. Okay, I understand where you're coming. I from. I mean, New England's been in terrible form. Toronto, terrible form. Orlando, 
Like, none of these teams have given me any reason to think maybe DC. We did talk about DC having a solid chance. I was chance. just going to say. That, that, I think, is a two-horse race at this point. I, I still think the Revolution are in it, but that I wouldn't a two and a half horse race. That there the New England Revolution horse is like has stumbled out now in the middle of the track and is trying to get its uh, hooves back and yeah, ready. It, it really is like a, a battle of attrition, seeing who's going to be the team that just really doesn't want it as much and is just going to fall off and lose their form, and which team is just going to claw their way in. I will say that. On their best days, right, uh, of all three teams, when I'm looking up and down the roster, one of the things that I like to look at is like, okay, who's got the best player? I think it's Ignacio Piatti. All things equal, I still think it's actually Ignacio Piatti. I think Wayne Rooney's pretty good, don't get me wrong. And, you know, Luciano Acosta, no disrespect to him. I just think that when everyone's on their game, I think Ignacio Piatti makes the most difference. And it's also because he has a history of doing so in the league already versus Acosta, who's still pretty young, hasn't had a chance to really do it on a a competing team. And, of course, Wayne Rooney, who's done it everywhere. But, hey, you got to do it in MLS too, right? Here's the big thing that I took from what what I, like, really latched on from what you just said is that Acosta hasn't been able to do it with a competing team. I I might put him up there with just talent-wise with Piatti. But when you watch Piatti, what he has is just the ability to take the ball and you just, like, you just, everything gravitates towards him. Like, the play, no matter where he is, he could be on the left wing, and the ball will never make it to the right side of that Montreal game because they just always want to give him the ball. He's that good. Yeah, that's that's fair. And uh, I think we'll see. Uh, quality, I think, will shine out here. I don't, I don't necessarily think anybody's going to be able to back their way into this one because I do think someone is going to catch form here and make it, so... That'll be that'll be fun to watch because we still got a, about a month and a half before mm-hmm. the season ends. We move on to Orlando City two, Philadelphia Union two. It was the Dom Dwyer C J Sapong derby for our nickel bet. So no one better to open the scoring than Mr. Dom Dwyer to make it one nothing for Orlando. Am I uh, right yeah, you know it was a, it was a good header too, all things considered. Uh, it was an interesting matchup because he had Alejandro Bedoya uh, guarding him, two guys who've been around the national camp a while, probably know each other pretty well. So I'm sure that one meant a lot to Dwyer being able to rub it in Ollie's face. Uh, but from there, I Philadelphia seemed to like flip a switch. And Orlando thought, wow, this this is the first time this has happened in a while. We have a lead. Uh, yeah, that's it's been a tough stretch for them, to say the least. Any positivity does them some good um, right now. Philadelphia, I thought, was the better team, all things considered, the, except for maybe the first five minutes and the last five minutes. Which, unfortunately, can be the most important of any match. It, because they, it does end up kind of costing them the points yeah, here. They, um, so they basically dominate the match in large sections through the middle. Um, they, they outshoot uh, Orlando. They have twice as many shots and shots on target. Um, I thought they were all around the better team. Uh, Corey Burke gets that f- goal, uh, a great cross from Dochkal. Uh, Pico gets a little lucky on his goal, just a deflection. And then Orlando, but Orlando does, you, you still see they have that ability to flip a switch and be like, all right, we're at home. We're attacking in front of the wall. Uh, let's go get a goal. And that's what they did in like literally two minutes of um, attacking. It was that quick. I do want to say that. Yeah, it was it was really quick, and it, it is kind of like that switch. But 
it, it was interesting that you know outside of the wall not to get away from the game too much but outside of the wall it was kind of a sparse crowd it reminded me a little more of a of a union game than a Orlando City game in my yeah opinion. I mean even the wall was you know had some holes in it that was not the usual Orlando uh, support I can't really blame them um, even when they were losing a couple weeks ago I thought yeah but they're still dangerous and they still are I mean they put two goals in in this game they are still dangerous but they just they can't get anything going I mean like would you say um, all things considered that at home, a draw against Philadelphia is a great result. If you want to make a push no, for the playoff, I that's, a, that's so. a bad result for Orlando, yeah. but it, it comes off as a win because they get the point at the, at the very end. Well, they've been so they've been so bad, and I, I, I stress the word bad. So it, they've been so bad that I I actually think that you kind of have to celebrate a result like this because, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, I'll say this. When they went down 2-1, it was kind of like, oh, it's, it's Orlando City. Here we go again. You know, it's it's that kind of mentality that sort of creeps in. We've all been there. If you've ever played for any kind of extended period of time or if you've been following, you know, a, a team for any extended period of time, you know, you know that feeling of, oh, here we go again. You know, like here, I thought this was the one we're going to break it up. And now it's it's all gone downhill, right? I, I would not shock me if a large portion of Orlando fans just turned the game off at 2-1 because they said, oh, all right, there you go. I mean, because it's it's such a helpless feeling, right? They have like right? 15 goals scored in the last like 10 minutes conceded in the last 10 minutes of games. When in the beginning of the season, right, they were on that six-game streak, they were the one doing the scoring. It was like, yep, they're at home. It's a tie game late. They're going to get a winner. And this became a moment where they were, this is, and since then it's been a, that's been like the worst time for them. I also thought after that goal was scored, Philadelphia had was going to win. That was it. Um, Ray Gaddis, I gotta have to put the blame on him. I thought he's been pretty solid defensively this year, but he he takes a touch in the box. I don't know why, and just goes right to Orlando player steps in, takes it, lays it off for Suter, the defender, who just smashes it in. Uh, really not the kind of defending you want as a team that's kind of been mounting a serious push for a solid playoff spot. But, you know, draw on the road is never a bad thing in the, in the MLS, as we saw with Montreal. It's, it's true. It's true. And, I mean, in, in, you know, Philadelphia Union teams of the past probably don't, probably don't respond well to that first goal. So it's actually – it's an interesting kind of – thing to look at because you think about okay so where Orlando City are that suddenly a one goal lead and then you know giving up two goals is like oh here we go but for Union fans of the past and maybe you can speak to this much better than I can but for Union fans of the past an early goal like that from anybody really would be like oh great here it was we over go. it you was know, already over there was points where the the Union's record from being down a goal was absolutely abysmal uh, their current record been being up a goal is great now but if you remember last year they had a stretch of five games where they gave up a goal in from the 88th minute on they gave up at least one goal to either lose or draw three of the last five games in the season and basically seal their fate as a non-playoff team so the fact that they're now a team that does get those late goals and can come back is a good sign even though it was only a draw here yeah so change in philosophy always good Union fans should feel all right about this one. Orlando fans, I guess, probably should feel all right about this one too because it could be, it could have been worse for both teams. I mean, really. yeah, but this one, I guess, unfortunately, also falls in the category of dropping points in the last minute. But the the goal was a good well, sign. The I goal was say, a good sign. I have to say, 
I have to say this. You're you're right about that because so for Union fans that have been set, sitting this whole time, like oh, I just wish you know why can't we just be a playoff team? You know, but now you're not just a playoff team. This uh, three points here suddenly instead of being three points behind the Columbus Crew, you'd be one point behind. Yeah, Columbus going into this crew. game, a win and anything other than a Crew win, uh, if a Crew drew or lost to New York City, um, the Union would be above them. So. Is it time? Is it time to get a? Is it time to get a little higher with the expectations? Uh, no, I don't think so. Co- Columbus is. I think Columbus okay. is still a better team, and I think that. I w- I would hope you agree with me, given your stance on the union. I, I, I think Columbus are a better team, but uh, here's the real question: <laughs> Would you rather play? Co- because the way the playoffs are right now, it would be Columbus versus Philadelphia. Even if Philadelphia were to jump Columbus in the standings, the only difference would be where. And that's the game's huge hosted. for the union as a team that's not historically great on the road. They've been better now, and playing in Columbus, I don't think, is uh, the worst place given the fan how the fans turn up. But that's got to be the Union's play at this point. They're not going to catch Atlanta or New York Red Bulls. They can jump and get a home game in the playoffs, and that's got to be the goal. That and winning the U.S. Open Cup. So it's good. it is good signs for the yeah. Union. Going to do the double playoff spot in U.S. <laughs> Open That's the list. Like the, the Arsenal is uh, getting fourth in the league. The Union Top is four. winning, getting to a cup final and making the playoffs is the double. There you go. It's classic. All right, we move on then to Toronto FC's 2-4 loss to LAFC, the visiting LAFC. Uh, so it is now September 3rd, Monday, Labor Day, at 107 Central Time, PM, 2018. And Putting the nail in the coffin. The Toronto are finished. Yep. Yeah, that's it. It's got, I mean, I can't, you can't possibly expect me to sit here and say, and make a case for Toronto anymore. It's not even a particularly close 4-2 to two either. It was 3 nothing until the 74th minute. And, I mean, good on, I mean, like, good sign Josie Althor brings two back, but I honestly don't think that that's a statement on Toronto's ability, more than the fact that LAFC is a classic team that will go up a bunch of goals and then concede a bunch and then make it a close game, as we saw against, like, the Galaxy. That's it's just I think that's more on LAFC than Toronto being like oh but look we almost came back, Toronto's done. It is, and it's, Toronto's defense still hasn't improved enough. Their offense is too inconsistent. You mentioned no Josie Altidore getting those goals back, but I mean it's such a Toronto thing, right? Too little, too late. <laughs> it feels like that's been the, the 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 slogan of their season is too little, too late. And I, I mean a big chunk of Toronto's offense. So if you look at the stats, you might think Toronto was mounting some sort of like massive attacking force in this game, but a, a lot of it, dare I say, came in garbage time. Because when they they opened up, LAFC also just carved them on the counter. So even even when it was kind of going in Toronto's favor, LAFC would get the ball and just you know put everybody on high alert in Toronto. All over yeah, again. this I, I Toronto by no means controlled this game and were unlucky. Uh, they they've, they've they've they were they weren't terrible. They were bad. I think it's their defense really, and I think you'd agree has been a real weak point. Last year they didn't really need as much of a defense because they would just control games. The best defense. Is yeah, they would offense. just control the game, and nobody could really get at them. Now it's like they just lost it. I don't know. It's like a sophomore year slump for them. They're done. Yeah. Uh, t- uh, one more note here: uh, Toronto get their first goal to make it three-one, and their celebratory smoke completely fills the field. So, uh, look, I know they do it after every goal. No matter the circumstances, no matter the situation, they 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 fill the the place with smoke because of the the pyrotechnics. But, I, I mean, I'm just saying, there has got to be some kind of, like, 
quality assurance there for someone to be like, maybe we should not do that. Ma- we're down three nothing. We score. Now we're down three one. Do we really need to engulf the field in smoke? Yes. I, maybe I, maybe I'm a grump. I don't know. Like I like big celebrations, but you, you're down three one. Leave the smoke. Leave, put the smoke away. It's. I mean, it, it, it could be the difference between you know like mounting a late uh a late attack for the for the for a draw. So okay, did you ever play in an environment that had smoke enough smoke for you not to be able to see the no. ball no. from your goal? Okay, I wanted to ask you that because so Toronto actually had a pretty good shot with the smoke, and it must have been tough to see at one point. It, I imagine it must have been dreadful to see for poor Tyler Miller. How, how could Toronto try to do that to Tyler Miller too? This friend of the show, Tyler Miller. It, it's just, it's like mind-boggling to me. It almost works. The opposing goalkeeper back. Nobody moves until the smoke clears. <laughs> it almost worked though. I agree with you. I agree with it your did, sentiment. Of, it's three-one. Why are you celebrating all that much? It's, you're you're almost out. But they did bring it back to three-two. I mean, it, they did. But then you know, <laughs> from there, LAFC put the nail. In the I coffin. see where you're coming from, but if you're gonna do it, you can't pick and choose what goals you you celebrate. I think you, if you're the fans, you gotta, especially your Toronto fans, enjoy every one at this point. I guess it's the equivalent of like if you're down fifteen nothing at a baseball game and a guy in the eighth inning jacks a solo home run, do you really light the fireworks? I guess the answer is yes, but yeah, man, I guess you it's, do. It's it's brutal. I guess you do. Uh, we move on to the uh, all things are bigger in Texas derby between FC Dallas and Houston Dallas. I feel like we talk about this every game every week dang because of the week. way it was scheduled this year. So FC Dallas comes away with the four two victory. Uh, it was a good bounce back win, I thought, for Dallas. They finally get their the better of their in-state rivals after some frustrating I mean, draws. The, Michael Barrios. The, oh, uh, speaking of the draws, the last eight games or something, they've drawn, they've drawn six times, and then each team's taken a win. So one win, one draw, six. One win, one loss, six draws for both teams. The most competitive rivalry in MLS. And well, not this time around. <laughs> so yeah, FC Dallas control this one. Michael Barrios opens the scoring in this one, and he's now scored and assisted in seven straight matches. Especially Not after bad. considering he kind of another just really weak beginning of the season. Yeah, he did. Uh, another one that may seem closer than it was in terms of the score. Dallas is up three nothing before the fifty third minute goal by Mauro Manotas, and then uh, they were up four one five minutes later. So an emphatic victory for Dallas. It's good for them to get these points. I do think the the West. Now we've talked about the three teams at the top of the West. Uh, my, it's still very much in play, so good on FC Dallas to get these points and an emphatic victory too over their rivals. It, it, it'll probably help with the confidence going. Yeah, forward. given that they've drawn against a team that's now we will put into the realm of uh, Colorado range. Given their terrible run of form, that's like something Dallas really needed to put a stamp on was a win against Houston after two draws. Right, we move on to everyone's favorite Columbus-based team, the Columbus Crew, and their 2-1 victory over NYCFC. So before we talk about the big win for the crew, let's talk about the fact that ownership is actively sabotaging this team. I know I sound like a broken record at this point, but I'm uh, to go online, I want you to go online, Listen, if you're listening to this, go online and look up a picture from that game where the crew are advertising ticket sales for a game on July 21st. And July 21st, 2018, don't think that, you know, they've, they've secured some giant friendly or something for next year that they're advertising for. They, 
they have a, a like a graphic on the screen that's like advertising tickets half half price night by the way. So uh, I mean, yeah, that was the it's just another marketing failure and that's been the big thing that Precourt Enterprises has been uh using to sabotage the crew is he's been It gets better. Oh, it gets, yeah, I want to hear it. Let's It gets better because there's a tweet out there by uh, Coda, at Coda Stewart, by, it goes by the name Dakota Andres on Twitter, who says that the crew also did not pay a lot of their security and thus had a limited amount of staff on site. So, I mean, it's disgusting. That's that that's terrible enough on its own, right? If that were just an isolated incident, but we all know it's not an isolated incident. This is what they've been doing. Thing, things like this. We remember the playoff game last year when they only, oh, conveniently, only so many gates of the stadium were open. To try and you know keep the keep the crowd out as long as possible. It's it it really is mind-boggling the extent that this this ownership group is willing to go to to sabotage this team. And if you're wondering if you've spent your time wondering, well, why don't the fans just go to the games and show the support, and then they can't be like, oh, well, they're not supporting the team. I mean, would you honestly want us go to a soccer game where they said, yeah, they didn't really pay the security, so it's just a bunch of stewards and a few security members who kind of showed up last minute that are going to be securing the arena yeah, for this game. Exactly. You, do you want to support? Would you? I, 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 I don't know. Do you? I certainly. And that's the problem: is you don't want to support the scumbag, but the only way you can keep the team there is to support the scumbag, right? He's. It's an impossible choice that he's decided to make them make, and of course, no one wants to do it. It's. It's uh, absurd. It's. It's an eerily similar situation to Major League, um, where the own. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Uh, it's about baseball. The owner. Uh, tries to get the team to tries to basically sabotage the team just like this and if they don't do well enough they have to move to like Miami or something and it's about the Cleveland Indians actually and it's about how the team kind of comes together to overcome that it's an eerily similar situation we'll see how you know I don't want to spoil anything but we'll see how the Columbus crew ends up as well because <laughs> um, it, it I, I've heard the argument of like oh but nobody goes to games how can they keep a, the team there it's they don't deserve it it's the team that has absolutely nothing. Precourt does nothing to try to get people into the stadium. He actively tries to get people out of the stadium. Disgusting. He does. And here's the other thing too: is I like I love MLS and I love the I love a lot about it. But one thing I I just I can't wrap my head around the fact that it's not just Precourt either. It, MLS is involved in this, whether they whether they want to admit that they are or not. Because the powers that be aren't stopping him. They could have just as easily told him, if you're going to continue doing this, then not only are we not going to approve any of your, you know, uh, experiments to try to leave, but, you know, you're going to be stuck there. And so you, he'll be basically forced to sell the team. No, they, they've basically enabled him. They've kind of just kind of said ho-hum, like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's his team. I mean, yeah, he's, I mean, he's some, some sort of evil genius because he's, the way he's sabotaging them, MLS wants to get rid of the crew because they're not making any money off of them. It's it's all about making money, and the crew oh, is man. losing money. It is. It is. That's I, I would. Say that's a fair assessment. I, they're definitely not the sexiest team in the world, and you know, it's just you know, I don't know. I don't know what the solution here is other than pre-court selling to somebody who's willing to keep them there. Uh, it's tough. I will say it's tough, right? Because I I can't imagine there are actually too many you know wealthy ownership groups or owners that are going to be interested in sort of buying this team and keeping them in Columbus, where it is going to be tough to sort of 
get that same buzz that you would get when you move to a new city that has this, you know, growing soccer culture like we've seen in so many other places. But what I will say is this. It, it did sort of happen. There is precedent for somebody new buying the team and not moving it and having some success. The, you know, the, the Clippers with the whole Donald Sterling thing. Now, Donald Sterling is a, a completely different case because they had him on, ta- on tape saying horribly racist things, you know. <laughs> Unfortunately, as unfortunately for us, Precourt's just a jerk. He's not. It's not illegal to be a jerk. Well, it's actually not illegal to be racist either. But you know, it it is what it is. The point is, it is that it, the, the Sterling situation was was on you know tape, and they they were able to get they toss him out. And the new ownership group with the Clippers has really done a decent enough job at keeping that team relevant. So and in Los Angeles, rather than you know moving them to Seattle or San Diego, whatever the rumors have had them in the past. So there is precedent for it, but it's like we said, it, it is going to be difficult, I think, to find an amiable solution where everyone ends up happy because the people in Austin do want a soccer team. I think that is... They do, and I mean, unfortunately, the um, Sonics Act Like the Crew were did, you know, fill their stadium before pre-court kind of started actively sabotaging them. So um, it's it's things definitely aren't perfect even without him. So it is a complex situation. Yeah. Anyway, the the game, uh, the crew won two one thanks to goals by Harrison Offal and Justin Miram. NYCFC perhaps quietly struggling. I don't know if that's a thing, but just one win in their last yeah. six. I think I'm thinking Dominic Torrent will probably want to take nothing for granted because the crew have now closed the gap to five points, and with seven games to go, that's not insurmountable. In I think it's slightest. fair to say that this New York City team is no longer in the echelon of Atlanta or the Red Bulls at this point of the season. Uh, I'd, you know, put them in with Dallas, Sporting Kansas City, which isn't a bad group to be with, and Columbus probably, um, but uh, worrying signs for sure. Yeah, we move. Speaking of worrying signs, uh, signs of the apocalypse may be upon us because Real Salt Lake didn't just beat the Galaxy at home; they, uh, I, uh, they absolutely destroyed the Galaxy six to two. And the craziest part to me is that this actually started well for the Galaxy. Less than a minute into the game, Jonathan DeSantos scored. And it was a pretty good goal at that. So, you know, things were looking up. The Galaxy had already scored on Real Salt Lake. You thought, okay, the regression's coming. They just scored six goals last week. They're probably not going to have too much offense in them this week. So it quite literally was all downhill from there. Um, Yeah, I I do want to make an apology to Nate Smith and all Real Salt Lake fans out there. Uh, I think it's time to take them seriously, at least when they're at home. The The only team with a better home record than them is NYCFC. So if you go into a real Salt Lake, I, I think it's time to take them seriously as a real playoff team. Especially against a uh, playoff contender with the Galaxy. It's a massive win. Even crazier is this game is actually 1-1 heading into stoppage time of the first half before Brooks Lennon played gorgeous ball to Damir Krylock, who's who manages to tap it over Bingham while the cross is coming in. So Bingham you know comes flying in trying to trying to get the ball away from him and he taps it over Bingham and then he just heads it in. Beautiful stuff really. I I, I was I was a big fan I when mean, I saw that. I didn't think any so, of their goals I, I didn't think like any of their goals were bad. There were some really nice goals from Real Salt Lake. Oh yeah no Albert Rushnak continues to be a force for them. He might be my favorite player that no one knows about because he plays for I mean I so. think uh he is considered I mean I I, I consider him one of the better midfielders in the league. It's just that he did have a, I think it was an injury problem that had him sit out for a period of time. 
Uh, and he's playing for Real Salt Lake, which isn't the sexiest, sexiest of teams. But he should be up there considered, you know, one of the better attacking mids uh, this year at least. Well, the Galaxy's defense was in shambles, but uh, I I feel like I should have some kind of like prepared statement for this. I should be like, well, this is the time where I apologize to all the Real Salt Lake people. But I'm I'm petty, so I'm just gonna go ahead and say I take nothing back. I don't care how many times they score six goals. I will not be impressed. That's that's fine. I, I can. I've reached a new level. I can of live. Pettiness. I can live with that level of pettiness. Um, I I think that it's time to consider them, take them seriously. Uh, they don't have a good road record. Uh, that's the only. That's their only. I think they're gonna be their problem going forward. They're not gonna. I don't think they're real. A real threat to make a run in the playoffs, but I do think that they should be a team to that that will probably make it in the top six after these last two results. Well, if you want an idea. If you want an idea here, they get home game to Minnesota United, away to Atlanta United, away to Sporting Kansas City, but then home to Portland, home to New England, and then away to Portland. I mean, I, they probably won't win any of those away games, which is going to be tough for them. But given how the teams below them, Vancouver and uh, the Galaxy have played, they haven't exactly made me think that they're going to be you know, mounting an attack either. So... Um, We'll see. They they've played more. A reminder that they have played more games than everyone else in the conference, except for the LA Galaxy, who are quickly falling out of the playoffs. But we see that now. So the 44 points, and they're one point behind Sporting Kansas City, and suddenly, uh, and two points behind LAFC, and you start thinking, oh, okay, wait a minute here. Could this really happen? But those games in hand, I think this will even itself out in the end. And if not, maybe maybe Real Salt like just finishes like second in the West, and I'm just sitting here looking like a complete idiot. It's possible. Uh, it's at this point, I'm getting it's getting harder and harder for me to actually read Real Salt Lake. They're the first team in MLS history to ever score six goals in back-to-back. And games. they now have a positive goal it's, difference. They do. So after we made fun of them for their negative eight goal difference, they've gone and turned it around to a plus four. So that's in two games, <laughs> which might be some that kind of that shows us, I guess. That shows us indeed. Speaking of showing us, Vancouver Whitecaps beat San Jose Earthquakes two one. So you see, it's, uh, somebody finally listened to me. By the way, you did it, Vancouver. You got those six points. I told you you needed. Congratulations to Vancouver for getting six points over the Earthquakes. So good news for them. They got those six points. Bad news for them. They don't get to play San Jose anymore, and their next two games are against Seattle and Dallas. I mean, so they're one point now out of a playoff spot, but I don't think that they have. I don't think they're going to make it. Portland's been sliding, slipping, and sliding. I still think Portland's a better team, but that's going to be a good opportunity for them playing Seattle. One point rivals, one point uh, difference between them. Things are shaping up to be, I think, very, very interesting in the West. Cascadia in general is going to be very interesting for them. The interesting note for them, the good news, I guess, for the Vancouver Whitecaps is that that game is at home. Both of those games I just mentioned are actually against home in Seattle and Dallas. So I guess it could be worse in that respect. And uh, they're playing for their lives. So they, they have every reason. But it's not to say Seattle's not Seattle's also either. playing for their lives. You don't want to be the team that kind of wins eight straight and then doesn't make the playoffs because they lose eight straight. <laughs> exactly. So it's it's a possibility. Just because Seattle's been playing well now doesn't mean they'll continue it. And we could, you know, see something turn around for them. I don't think it will. But that's something that they have to be careful of, and especially playing a team like Vancouver that's that close to them, both in the standings and geographically. 
And finally, we move to Sunday's action, the only primetime game on Sunday. DC United 3-1 victory over Atlanta United. This game is sponsored by United Airlines, by the way. Great performance by DC, who desperately needed the points after losing back-to-back games. And I, Luciano Acosta, if you, I already mentioned him earlier, but if you're not a believer, if you were not a believer before, you have to be now. This man can play, and he looks he looks phenomenal now with the, with the addition of Wayne Rooney with some kind of real structure around him. They they he has really come into his own this season. They've been really turning things around. Um, I with their game against the Union, I kind of th- I do think at times that they um, show real signs of weakness. Um, the luckily for them, the East bottom what like six seven teams are not that dominant either so D- well right now dc united for i think i i think i know where you're going with it, right because if they play the fire you'd expect them to win if they played orlando you'd expect them to win toronto new england probably should beat them too so and they had and and uh, and one above them they too have, at montreal they play at new york city who's been struggling but has yet to lose at home and then they have three home games in a row and they have three games in hand on Montreal, uh, the team placed above them, and they're back six points. So, I still think Montreal. I mean, listen, like six points in two games is phenomenal. So, if DC could make that up, that'd be. I mean, to make the race very, very interesting. But that's gonna be very tough, given that they have to play New York City and the Red Bulls in this stretch of games. Yeah, that, that's not gonna be easy. But I also see two games against Chicago on this list. So. That should be working out nicely for them. And if they want, look, if they do want to make the playoffs, it is still sort of an uphill battle for them. It's like you mentioned, they have to make up that six-point gap. They do have three games in hand over the impact, but nothing, nothing will be given to them at this point because now, because they had some disappointing results, that you know that loss to the Union was you know really tough on them, and obviously losing to the Red Bulls didn't help either. So they will definitely have no room for error at this point going forward. If they want to make that, and I think that last game against Chicago could be a big one for them. It could be a decider. Things get down to the wire. What I would give, what I would give for Chicago to host a must-win game for DC United. Might might have to. Right, that'd be a game worth watching. Uh, Yeah. So things are looking up for DC, but that'll be. I think that's gonna be very close. There you go. So from the nation's capital, we move to the nation's team because the U.S. men's national team are coming back into action. Yay! Hooray! Friendlies. Friendlies? Uh, Yay, I'm not a hey. big fan. Hey, it's a new cycle. It's a new cycle. I mean, we got to start getting excited because now, now it's starting to mean something again. I, you know what? I, I get that. I just, I'm the international break always just gets me down. I don't know. I, I don't want to bring everyone else down with me, but I just, uh. Oh come on, that's it, your specialty. Oh, yeah, I'm so I'm just good at it. I don't want to do it, but I'm really good at it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The exciting thing, I mean, there's not all that much to play for um, as a team, but as a as each individual players, they have so much to play for, and that will be interesting because uh, there's so many young talents and so many people who are trying to gonna have to fight to get into this team. I think we're gonna see a lot of high level play. We will see some, a lot of, for sure, we're still talking about a very young team. We're still talking about a lot of players that want to make their mark as best they can. And so I, it's going to be interesting because they, it's still kind of an inexperienced squad. And you kind of look at the squads that, you know, Brazil and Mexico brought. It's going to be interesting matchups because they both, 
Brazil particularly really brought a lot of good players. So I thought that th- I think this will be a good test for them. Let's talk about the U.S. roster before we go into anybody else's, though. So the goalkeepers, Bono, Horvath, and Stefan, I think pretty logical choices, all things considered. I think it's a little surprising that maybe Bill Hamid didn't get it over Horvath, but uh, maybe that's just me. I I feel like with Hamid now back in MLS playing again, I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe gets into the pool. But, you know, he just got back. I do agree with you that uh, he he probably deserves a spot getting in there. Um, But Bono's kind of been ousted from his role. Clint Irwin's been starting for Toronto. Uh, so that one also a little surprising. Um, I think I am falling behind Zach Steffen as the person who should be taking the reins. Uh, he, he's probably the best of the three. I have a lot of, I've, I have a lot of, you know, goalies MLS. I'd like to see Tim Melia, Sean Johnson. Uh, but Zach Steffen's probably the guy right now that the U S is going to put their money behind. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I am. I'm also Team Stefan at this point. I think he's absolutely earned the right to sort of be the first choice guy when competitive games start to happen. And we'll see. He's already been associated with a move to Europe once. It would not shock me if in January somebody else comes calling and he decides to take that call. Especially again with the uncertainty of the crew yeah. going forward. The defenders: good old John Brooks, Cameron Carter's Vickers, Eric Lehigh. Aaron Long, Matt Miazga, Shaq Moore, Tim Parker, Anthony Robinson, DeAndre Yedlin. So DeAndre Yedlin kind of becoming the elder statesman here. Of course, Eric Lehigh has also been around quite a bit of time himself. And, you know, John Brooks even now kind of a war-tested veteran compared to these other guys. Yeah, I mean, I think we look at this defense uh, position by position. Just, you know, Yedlin probably the best right back. Brooks in the center. Um you could take your pick for the other center back. Um, I'm partial to one of the New York Red Bull defenders. I think Aaron Long probably deserves it, given how he's played. Um, but the uh, that's that's a good that's a good lineup of defenders. What do you think? I think it's great. I don't know that I would have. I would have tried to get anybody else. I my I did see rumors that Eric Palmer Brown was coming, and I thought, ah. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't sure that, I, I mean, no, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I, you know, I'm watching hundreds of hours of Eric Palmer Brown playing right now based on where he is. But it's, I, I thought it was interesting that he was left out after having that rumor come out that he was coming. So, but I, I can't see anybody here that doesn't belong here, that doesn't fit the mold sort of, of who they're calling up. I think it's great. And I'm really happy to see John Brooks back as well because, you know, he's been dealing with injuries for a while now. He's been he's been kind of in and out of the pool because of those injuries. He hasn't really been able to establish himself at his club since leaving uh, and going to Wolfsburg. So I, I I like it. I think it's a good sign going forward. And it would not shock me to see him start one of the games and then kind of rotating around the other center backs because there, there's a lot of talent here that I think probably does. Deserve yeah, I mean, this start. is I mean, I, this wouldn't have surprised me if this was what their World Cup roster would look like, minus maybe a few players. There's a lot of talent there. Yeah. Midfielders, Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Paulo Ariola, Julian Green, uh, the, the the timeless Julian Green, Sebastian Legette, Weston McKinney, Christian Roldan, Will Trapp, and Tim Weah. Tim Weah, midfielder. I would like to like to add in um, that just today, Marky Delgado got added in. Oh, good. Good for Marky Delgado. Much more of a midfielder than Tim Weah. Yeah, well, I guess we consider Tim Weah more of a forward, but... Uh, this is, I guess, where the U.S. starts dropping off in quality. I really like the look of the defenders. 
Um, I don't know if I can pick a surefire midfield lineup from these guys. Um, a couple veterans, a couple young guys, um, guys like Tyler Adams and Tim Weah, I'd like to see get significant time. Um, Julian Green, I'm not really sold on. Christian Roldan, I'm not really sold on. So this is their chance to show me. Prove me wrong. Really? Yeah, well, that's interesting. I do think that Christian Roldan, and I'm not arguing about Julian Green before anybody was like, he's going to stick up for Julian. No. Uh, I am interested because I actually was of the opinion that I thought, yeah, I get, let's give Roldan another shot. Because I do think he has been he has not been great when he's put on the red, white, and blue. But I, I think his play this season has earned him another shot. It would not surprise me to see him again in October and then again and again in November and again in Camp Cupcake in January. There's a lot of yeah. time here, right? So I would not be shocked to see Christian Roldan continue to get chances here because I, I can say this with certainty. I think the MLS players that want to prove themselves, this would be the time because that that January camp is usually all North American-based players and then, you know, these November and these October friendlies and even these coming up, they're still not of the greatest magnitude. So this is the time to get in the squad and to prove yourself. And I think that I think he can do it. I really think he can do the job for the national team. I, I, I'm a big fan of his. Maybe maybe under a new manager, he can finally find something. You know, he didn't play greatly under Bruce Arena, but that would be. I, I was really interested to see him there, and I'm glad that he got it. Um, something of note: there's not exactly a lot of uh, wingers in this in this group. Julian Green, Paul Ariola, um, Roldan plays out there, and Tim Way, I guess, is going to be on the wing, but. It seems to me like a lot of guys who are more centrally focused, who like, like Adams can play wide. Uh, even Ariola has been getting more time centrally with DC. So a lot of guys who play through the center will be interesting to see how it lines up. Yeah. And finally, the, the forwards, not many. Uh, oh, and I actually, before I even get to the forwards, Sebastian Legette. He's a good player. Man. He is. I. I think he's a fine player. I'm just really surprised to see. I am him also already. surprised. I think uh, that if you're gonna set up a team that is uh, looking for youth, either youth or like star players, like you're saying, all right, well, John Brooks is gonna be with this team for a while. He's still pretty young. We'll keep him in, but otherwise, we're gonna be mostly young players. Maybe we'll have a Lehigh as like the experienced guy. That one's a little bit surprising, especially considering. Um, I don't know. I'm, I can't think of any people right now that I think um, were surprisingly left out. Um, I mean, I mean, I, look, here's the thing. I can sit here and, I, like, like Pulisic's not here because of the injury. I would obviously replace Ledjet or literally anybody here with Pulisic. But, so he's not here because of the injury. But I just think that, like, you know, I don't, I don't know what Keaton Park's situation is. Just off the top of my head. I would have probably preferred to uh-huh. see him here. I would have preferred. Uh, they, have, they have a guy, Romain Gall. I think he's playing for Malmo in... So I, don't, I I feel like I'm just naming people just to name people. So I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it there. But and, and Tyler Adams too, but he's injured. So and he's here. So I, I've I've failed at reading comprehension. But no, Sebastian Legette, weird. I don't, yeah, I don't know if pro- I like that. That's one that but does stick we'll out. See. But uh, I'm not. I think he is just a guy who's in as a veteran presence. Andrea no- Novakovic. Bobby Wood and Giassi's artist round out the forwards. Yes, tap in master Giassi's artist is still he's, competing for starting he's earned the it. national team. He has earned it. I will say that. And if Burhalter does end up with a job, I would not shock me to continue to see Zardes yeah. here. Um, the one that I still am a little bit surprised with, Novakovic getting another call up. I mean, listen, like the guy was like a decent goal scorer in the second league of 
um, the Dutch League, which is like, how much better is that than the USL, first and foremost? Second of all, Josie Altador was crushing the first league in the Dutch League, and he's not even he's not even a guy who's earning a spot anymore. So, I that's one I'm not really sure about. Well, he is now. He's now playing in the Eredivisie, the first division. So, he's he's uh he's he's definitely got he's definitely got I think potential. I see your point. Like it is kind of crazy that we were starting to get hyped about this guy who yeah was dominating a league that. Let's be honest. There's not much. There's not much quality there. But I, I think he's got a real shot at this. First of all, he is a Reading player, so I think that's important to remember. Sort of where he could be. I was a little disappointed that he didn't get a chance to fight for a spot at Reading instead. But I, I legitimately think that he could be a good player. But I, it will take another season at the Eredivisie level to, to you know, kind of convince me that he's you know worth getting invested in. But I guess the other thing is, who else would you call? Right? You're not calling Josie Altidore. You're not. Clint Dempsey has just retired, so call him back. He's not call back Clint. Anymore. I I would not be surprised if he got some sort of uh, tribute game. He I think he absolutely would deserve it. But it, you I mean you can't. Aaron Johansson still hasn't really settled in and can't stay healthy anyway. I'm just listing forwards now. I can't even think of another one. Um, any any others? Uh, I'm just like I'm trying to scour MLS. There's a lot of international talent. Uh. When it comes to forwards and MLS, I think Jordan Morris injured, but he would probably would have been um, in consideration. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's young. He's only 21 years old. Uh, so that definitely is a good sign. Um, I'm just, I mean, like, you know what? Maybe, maybe he's really good and I'm just not, and I'm just, you know, too hard on the young kid, but I'm not even sure he's going to play all that much. I have a feeling Bobby Wood's going to start for them anyway. He'll be third off the bench. It's possible. I mean, look, it's two games, so and plenty. I think there'll be plenty of opportunities to go around. It'll kind of depend on the way they want to play. Uh, he was playing a four-three-three. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like I probably should remember that, but yeah, he was playing a four-three-three, right? So you assume only one of these guys will be on the field at a time. I, I gotta say, uh, Jossie's artist in the middle of a four-three-three. Uh, <laughs> that that kind of bothers me, but I hey, I guess. What do I know, right? I think Bob, you're right. Bobby Wood probably does get the start, and from there, uh, way on we'll one see. wing probably. For sure, way I would think gets a start on the other. Gets the, gets a start on the other wing. It wouldn't surprise me to see. I mean, I don't uh, know. Maybe Roldan on a wing. Maybe Julian. Maybe Julian oh, Green man. or maybe Ariola. Ariola would make sense. Julian Green, that, could but make that's sense. still up in the air. I think Adams starts. That. Yeah, Tyler Adams, I think, will probably get a go here. Uh, for sure, I think Weston McKinney... I think he deserves a chance. I think maybe gets... Weston McKinney will trap um, Tyler Adams midfield, which I I think sounds pretty good. We'll see if Will Trap does get the start. I'm, a, I'm just a fan of his, so I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little biased. All right, so the squads that these teams brought really quickly here because it is a kind of interesting to see. So you see the U.S. squad very much still very young, very like let's let's try to give someone a chance here. The uh, the other the other teams. So Brazil brought I thought a pretty good squad. You look at uh, up and down the roster. Allison is here. Uh, guys from the World Cup: Silva, Marquinhos, Felipe, uh, Luis, uh, Fabinho, Fagner. They've brought Casemiro with them. Fred, 
Renato Augusto, Coutinho's here, and then you know Neymar, Willian, Firmino, Douglas Costa, they've all come. That's a pretty good Brazil side. Just with, just off the names I just named, right? Yeah, I mean, not surprised that they're. Um... I mean, I think a lot of teams are in this position after the World Cup, unless you're like France of trying to rebuild. Right? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good squad. I think it's um, you know it's a good opportunity for some of them. Obviously, you know it's a good money maker for Brazil too. It's not just the U.S. making money off these friendlies. So I imagine that they are excited to come to the U.S. That's a good opportunity for a lot of their players. I like Neymar especially, who you know wants to continue to build his brand here in the U.S. Even if that probably does rubs people the wrong way sometimes. For Mexico, they've brought basically it's an intro, It's like it's kind of like a hybrid between like guys that went to the World Cup and guys that didn't. So like you know they've brought their number one goalkeeper Ochoa, but they then they bring two. Uh, less experienced goalkeepers behind him uh the forwards so Raul Jimenez who um, people now may know that the striker from Wolves is coming but not Chicharito Chucky Lozano is coming but not some of the veterans like Andres Guardado it's an interesting lineup you know they've they've got some talent I'm not going to sit here and just rave Uh, people may remember the uh now expatriate Jonathan Gonzalez he's here Jonathan Dos Santos not surprising giving that's another people Americans would probably recognize yeah uh, that's uh, it's an interesting squad just just on paper I think it's interesting to see what they might be trying to do Mexico also with an interim manager if you missed that news on Carlos Osorio has apparently agreed to become the national team manager of Paraguay which is bold on his part we'll see how that goes for him yeah I mean this means the U.S. doesn't get him but um, definitely I mean if you're a soccer fan Friendlies are generally not exactly, you know, the best level play compared to the Premier League. But being able to see these guys play, you'll be able to see some top-level players. Uh, A lot of the guys are fighting for a spot. The other ones are playing for national pride. So there's always something on the line. There is. So it's closing time, and that means it's Emmett's favorite international week. Only national TV game this week is NYCFC versus DC United. It's actually a pretty big one, all things considered. It is. 4.55 Eastern on Univision Deportes. And that's also my match of the week because there's like four games in the next like week. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think I we'll have to finally agree with you. I always try to pick a different game of the week, but. None of the others are really have seem to have as much uh, influence. New York City versus the Revolution, probably another one. Interesting, they have two games this week. That is true. They're the only ones, well, obviously. But, I mean, yeah. So that could be interesting for DC United, a chance to perhaps catch NYC at a bad time. Tired, this, this would be three games in a week now but as well. Two home games for NYCFC. So uh, very interesting uh, developments in MLS on this Labor Day weekend. Anyway, that's all the time we have here on the American Soccer Show. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, uh, Google Podcast Store, whatever it's called, Spotify. We're all over the place (laughs) uh, for all your American soccer needs. Emmett McConnell alongside Eric Alcantar signing off.